Kids, I want to start by speaking with you, and I want to start by uh, sharing with you a, uh, one of my favorite comics, Calvin and Hobbes, and one of their recurring uh, characters in Calvin and Hobbes is a classmate of Calvin's called Mo. Mo is not a nice person. And let me uh, share one with you right now, and I'm see, I don't know, but you can see, I'm going to try to get as close as possible here so that you can see this. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to do a good job here. All right, I think you can see that. So I'm gonna read through this. Hey Calvin, you're on my swing, get lost. I'm not scared of you, Mo. Oh no? No, you're so dumb you probably never thought about how a sparrow's smaller size and greater maneuverability is an advantage in fighting off big crows. Yeah, punch. Those TV nature programs will be the death of me yet, says Calvin. We see in this first one how Calvin got bullied by, by Mo and got punched straight up into the air and fallen. And here's another one with Calvin and Mo. Make sure you can see it. And so Mo says at the, locker, at the lockers to Calvin, hey, Twinkie, give me a quarter. Calvin says, what? Why should I give you my money? Mo says, it's for the let Calvin live through recess fund. And Calvin says, sounds like a worthy cause. And Calvin ends with his motto is give before it hurts. Kids, I don't know whether this is something you have experienced in your own life before. I really hope not. I hope that you've not been bullied at school or in your play group, um, but it's something that happens in life. I, I certainly hope also that you're not the bully. Uh, that wouldn't be good. But as you can see from Calvin and, no, Calvin and Mo, uh, being bullied isn't fun at all. It literally hurts if someone hits you so that they can get what they want from you. Or it, it hurts when, when, when someone threatens or, or scares us into giving them something, saying that they might hurt us in some way if we don't give them what they want. And we see that in that second one where Mo says uh, you know, that Calvin is giving to the Calvin Living Through Recess Fund. Sometimes people bully, not just by, say, but not just by hitting, but by, by saying mean things. In today's passage that we're gonna be looking at, it's in the book of Revelation, but in the book of Revelation, and you might have heard me read it just now, that there's this description of this really big and scary beast. And this beast has 10 horns and seven heads, and the beast looks like a leopard and has his feet like a bear and has a mouth like a lion. The Bible's trying to paint this picture of a very scary beast. And this beast scares people into doing what they want by, by hitting them, by threatening them, that they will hurt them. And the Bible is not actually trying to say that there is actually a beast out there that looks like that. The Bible is using this beast as a picture to show us that in big ways and in small ways that we can all be like the beast, that we can all be like Mo sometimes, that we can try to get what we want, sometimes by hitting, sometimes by saying mean things, sometimes by threatening. The Bible also says, though, and we didn't read it yet, but it's in chapter 14 of Revelation that there is Jesus who is the lamb that was slain for all the 
the things that we've done to hurt others, whether by hitting them, actually hitting them, or by saying mean things. Whether it's things that other people did to us or things that we did to others. That Jesus, on the cross, died for all the wrongs that have been done, which is what we just celebrated in Easter. But that, that neither these sins nor death had power over Jesus and that he raised to new life to give all those who believe in him the power to live differently, to fill them with the Holy Spirit that they might not hurt people, but love people. And we're all prone to do it, big and small, whether we're young or old, we can all be tempted in some way to do that. That we're to live not according to, to the, the, the mo inside of us, but to live according to the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us to love people well, even those who we consider our enemies. So I hope that you understand that today, that, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that I hope that you consider how you might, even with your brothers and sisters, um, hurt them, but that Jesus died on the cross for even those things that you've done. Feel free to tune in as we continue to dig into the passage, as I turn to speaking more to grown-ups, but I know a lot of you do stay tuned as well. So grown-ups and kids alike, really the main point of today is this idea that there is a beast of violence in our hearts and in the world, but that the lamb that was slain is victorious. There's a beast of violence in our hearts and in our world, but that the lamb that was slain was victorious. Honestly, more often than not, we respond to violence with violence, or we reclassify or justify our violence. We just don't like to own up to our capability of hurting others. Again, we've resumed this series in Revelation, and even as you heard Revelation read earlier, you might have been jolted into like, wow, this is really different. And that's the point. We're supposed to be taken out of this world we live in and to see things from a cosmic point of view, to see things with spiritual eyes, to see behind what is going on in this world. And the last message in the Unveiled series, we were looking at Revelation 12, which is the center of the book, and we see this cosmic battle between the dragon, which is Satan, and the woman, which is the church. And it symbolizes, again, there, that there is actually a cosmic battle between the enemy, Satan, and the church. And then Revelation 12 indicates for us, for the first time in the book of Revelation, who the church is to conquer in their life and in this world. And in the message um, several weeks ago now, before Lent, we explored the depth of this question, who is your enemy? And how often we make um, enemies out of everything else, including ourselves, except for Satan himself, our greatest enemy. And here we come into this section in Revelation chapters 13 to 19 where we're introduced even more specifically to three more enemies that really come under Satan. The enemy that we battle against of the, the beast, the false prophet, and the prostitute. And these three images, again, are, are, are symbols of something in this real world. And they are symbols of these three enemies, intimidating violence, deceptive heresy, and beguiling affluence. Intimidating violence, uh, deceptive heresy, and beguiling affluence. And this further helps us answer the question, who is our enemy? 
we are susceptible to all of those temptations. And today's passage, we're really um, focusing on the first beast, and the first beast says, and the whole, uh, and the and the Bible says about the first beast, and the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. None on earth are spared from the temptation, and many have succumbed to marveling at the beast. In chapter 13, you heard read earlier that uh, we're introduced to the first beast of violence, but also the second beast of heresy. And, and really, we're just going to focus in on the first beast of violence and the danger it imposes on us, on our everyday lives. But let's explore first just the nature of this beast. And I'm just going to really make just bullet points about this. Number one, the beast loves power. And we hear in verse two, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Secondly, the beast demands admiration. Verse four, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That verse right there is meant to be a reversal of the words we're supposed to say to God, who is like the Lord, but here instead it gets turned to who is like the beast. And the third thing we see about the beast is the beast speaks against God and wars against God's people. Verse six and seven say this, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. There are some interpretations of Revelation that unwittingly encourage Christians to try to find a particular person or government or organization or religion or philosophy that, that, that is the first beast. But I believe God's intention is really that we recognize the beast of violence wherever and whenever it may crop up, even in our own hearts, even in our own churches. When church leaders love power and demand admiration, they are marveling at the beast. When pastors and priests cover up sexual abuse in the church, they are marveling at the beast. There is a beast of violence in our hearts and in our world. We are all prone to violence, and we don't like to hear that. We're prone to violence, particularly when we don't get our way. Oh, we are nice Iowans, so it may not be very overt, but Jesus quickly uncovers the violence in our hearts when we insist we have not broken the sixth commandment of do not murder. In his Sermon on the Mount, this very early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he challenges us not to have superficial readings of God's law. He interprets God's law for us correctly. He challenges us not to have superficial justifications of the ways in which we fall short of God's goodness. Right from the beginning, Jesus challenges us to look into our hearts, to see the anger in our hearts that can lead to sin, anger that can lead to bitterness in our hearts towards someone. Anger that can lead to harsh words towards someone. Anger that leads us to be, that can lead us to be unwilling to reconcile with someone. 
when we do these things or when we are at the receiving end of these things, we witness in ourselves or in others the intimidating, intimidating violence of the beast. When we see blaming and threatening in the midst of global pandemic, we see intimidating violence. When we see people canceling others, we see intimidating violence. At the heart of intimidating violence is a willingness to hurt someone in order to get your way. The violence could be initiated by you or it could be a payback for a way in which you feel hurt. The violence could be seemingly as harmless as a cold shoulder that you know in your heart you want the other person to notice, to be hurt by. The thing is we can't read people's hearts though. We can't read people's intentions especially if people are not even aware of their own intentions. And so it really calls for us to examine our hearts before God rather than for us to go pointing out to other people their intentions behind their actions. But let me be clear about this. As a person who's been working with people pastorally for 23 years now, most people are not malicious in their violence. Most people are not calculated in their violence. Most people are barely aware of their intentions to hurt. Many people cannot even name the anger that fuels their violence. It is why most people do not think of themselves as violent people or even as people who struggle with violence in any way. And it is why Jesus seeks to expose the violence in our hearts, because he knows our hearts so well. Because we are so good at reclassifying our violence as something else. Because we are so good at justifying it. We're like little kids crying out to God, but he made me do it. But she started it. We have to come to grips with the fact that somewhere on the way to hurting someone, that we had the possibility of making a different choice. That we have to take into consideration that maybe there's a way that we relate to people that regularly involves violence. And that we have to consider that maybe deep down we knew that it would hurt them. But for most of us, we don't go to those places. It may just be right underneath the surface of our acknowledgement and awareness. But it's there. I want to say a few words about the number 666 because it's kind of like engraved into our culture. But I think, again, it simply affirms to us, again, there's a beast of violence in our hearts and in our world. Verse 18, which chapter 13 ends with, says, this calls for wisdom Wisdom to identify the beast. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Again, there's just been too much speculation about 666, and who does 666 refer to? Who is the man here referred to? Revelation is a book of symbolic numbers, and we know already that seven is the number of perfection and completeness. Six, therefore, is the number of incompleteness, imperfection. The number six, repeated three times then, serves to symbolize that the beast is thoroughly imperfect 
and incomplete. The way of the beast is destruction. The way of the beast brings death. Simply put, if we choose the way of violence, then it will lead to death. We will experience the misery of living out the consequences of sin. Our hearts will harden. Our relationships will dry out if we walk in the way of violence. You may still internally be reacting against this message. You may still think, well, I'm not the violent type. I'm very nice. But let me remind you again that your violence can come through harsh words. Your violence can come through a cold shoulder. Your violence can come through passive aggressiveness. We may think we're being quite controlled and quite nice, but even those kinds of actions that I mentioned repeated over and over will destroy relationships. You don't have to beat people to be violent. You don't have to beat people to hurt them. Mo could have just used his intimidating size and threats to get his way without ever actually using violence. There is a beast of violence in our hearts and in our world. But there's a beautiful, beautiful transition in chapter 14 to the lamb that was slain. We hear reaffirm to us the gospel message, but the lamb that was slain is victorious. In chapter 12, we saw and were reassured that the dragon Satan is thrown down and defeated. And yet in chapter 13, seemingly there's not a lot of hope mentioned. We get a little reference in verse eight about the book of life of the lamb who was slain. In chapter 10, we get this call for endurance and faith of the saints. In chapter 18, a call for wisdom. And sometimes this is how the Christian life feels. Sometimes we lose hope. Sometimes it feels like the world is pressing in on us and we feel ready to throw in the towel. Sometimes it feels like the beast is going to get the best of us, whether it's when we're internally fighting our own demons or externally dealing with violence against us. How did the disciples feel right after Jesus was crucified like a common criminal on the cross? They hid. They didn't feel much hope at that moment. But the hints of, hope in chapter, hints of hope in chapter 13 become loud and clear immediately in the beginning of chapter 14 when it begins with the victorious lamb standing on the Mount Zion with the people of God symbolized by another perfect number of 144,000. Chapter 14, verse one says this, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. We get taken again to this beautiful scene of worship, of a new song, of the sounds of harps playing, of the loud roar of, the, of, of water rushing down. It's supposed to be this beautiful picture of victory and of worship of the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain will be victorious over all of our enemies, including the beast of violence. The lamb that was slain is victorious over the beast of violence in our hearts. 
The lamb that was slain was victorious of the beast of violence in this world. The lamb that was slain shows us that violence doesn't bring life, though we may grasp at life through violence, that life instead comes through laying down our lives like our Lord Jesus Christ. We have courage to face the violence in our hearts because Jesus has already taken the penalty for our violence. He is also at work inside of us to make us more and more like him, like the lamb that was slain. When we see clearly the beast of violence in life, in ourselves and in this world, we should be appropriately fearful. But we do not need to live in fear. We do not need to live in fear because the lamb that was slain is victorious, because there is hope in the lamb's victory. There is a beast of violence in our hearts, and our world, but the lamb that was slain is victorious. So I encourage you, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, lean into the victory of Christ. Lean into the lamb who was slain, who laid down his life for you and walk in his footsteps. Do not unintentionally or inadvertently walk in the ways of the beast. Do not marvel at the beast who gets his way through threats, through violence. We all need the cleansing blood of our Lord Jesus who makes us new and gives us a new song to sing because of Jesus. Let's pray.